0: this morning. I hope today's message is a blessing to you. We're going to continue our summer series called Summer Gospel Nuggets. We've done this for five weeks now, and I won't quiz you on what we've gone over, but I'm going to tell you the last four lessons so you remember and can recall what we've looked at. We looked at, number one, the beginning of our series, we looked at what was called the calm in the storm. Following that, we had the perspective of forgiveness last week. Excuse me. After that, we had Jesus in us. That was about the Holy Spirit. And then last week, my my dad spoke to us. Pastor Mel spoke to us about the Great Decision. This week, we're going to look at number five summer gospel nugget, and it's going to be called Fruitful Branches. Fruitful Branches. If you have your Bibles, please join me in John 15, verses 1 to 17. That's going to be our text this morning. John 15, 1 to 17. I'm going to be honest. I think this is my favorite passage in the entire scripture, so it's uh, really a blessing to speak from this today. I hope the Lord will bless it. I know that he will. Did you ever have to do something important without the proper tools, training, or confidence to do so? Anything. There were a couple jobs that I had growing up. I've shared a couple of these stories, but I want to share them in a different light. A couple jobs growing up that I had to do that I didn't have the proper tools, training, or confidence for, and I'll just share a couple of them. When I was in college, I worked alongside of my college to hopefully put a dent into my school bill. That didn't go well, but uh, that was the plan. And so I was working alongside of going to school, you know, 15 hours a week or something like that, and making minimum wage, and after taxes, and after you spend a little bit of that money, how much are you actually putting away? Not a lot of money, right? Let's be honest. So I decided I needed to find a higher-paying job because I didn't want to work 30 to 40 hours a week. I wasn't going to do well at school if I did that, but... I had to find a higher-paying job and still work around 15 hours a week, so that was the goal. But as you're a college kid and you don't have a lot of qualifications, that's kind of tough to find, a high-paying job. But I did find one after searching for a little while. I found a high-paying job, and the shifts were only five hours long. I could work like 10, 15 hours a week, and if I did well, I could make some good money. But the job was telemarketing. Anyone here like telemarketers? You guys like when they call your home, right? That's a fun thing, isn't it? They always call when you're home for some reason. It's always when you're trying to sit down for dinner. They know when to call, and I learned that very quickly being a telemarketer. We call exactly when we know you're going to be home, when you're going to be eating, and that's why we're annoying, because we know you're home. So I decided to try this job called telemarketing, and I figured I'm an outgoing, personable guy. I'm going I'm to do I'm going to do well at this job. I'm going to make some good money, um, but I found out very quickly that I was disillusioned by this job. <laughs> um, just to share a couple examples of what had to go on there telemarketing. So what they would do is they would be selling something for a week or two weeks or something like that. And they'd actually give you the script. They'd give every telemarketer a script and you sort of had to follow this script as you were selling the item they were trying to give. But you could put your own spin on the script. You could put your own language and stuff into that. So I was really new at this and uh, had to start calling people one after another. You call hundreds of people in one day. I mean, tons of people. And a lot of the names you can't pronounce, so I'm just going to pick a name out of random, whether this is an actual name or not. Called this one guy, and I said, yes, can I speak to Joe Schmorgasbord, please? Hello, Mr. Schmorgasbord. I'm Todd. I'm calling from Telemarketers Anonymous. And I have a really special deal for you, Mr. Schmorgasbord. We are selling the magazine Tech Time. Tech Time. I don't know if you've heard of this magazine, Joe, but Tech Time is sweeping the nation. It is really becoming a really popular magazine, and we have a really special deal for you right now. If you sign up today, you're going to get your first three magazines absolutely free. And then after that, they're only going to be around 2 dollars and eighteen cents per magazine. After that, yes, you're locked into a three-year contract and the money can go up. But let's focus on the three free magazines you're getting at the beginning. So what would happen is you'd start to sell this product or try to sell this product. But every single time, and you guys know... There's objections, right? If there's not just an absolute hang-up of the phone (laughs) or a swearing or a cursing, sometimes they'll give you what's called an objection. This is why I don't want what you're selling, buddy. And so Joe Schmorgasbord said something like this. Yeah, I don't like tech. Not interested. Uh, Not only do I not like tech, I don't know how to read. I'm illiterate. Oh, I'm also clinically blind. So uh, tech time, I wouldn't be interested in that. Thanks anyway. Yeah, thanks Thanks for calling it. And my job would be to overcome these obstacles because I'm still trying to sell this man something he doesn't want. And so I'd be like, yes, I understand that, Mr. Schmorgasbord. Yeah, you, know, you, don't, you don't like tech. You can't read. You're, you're clinically blind. But what if you weren't? What if tech time was your favorite thing? And what if that all changed today? Tomorrow, aren't you going to be sad that you missed out on this deal, Mr. Schmorgasbord? And then he'd say something like, drop dead. And then I'd say something like, well, is Mrs. Smorgasbord there? Can I talk to your wife? <laughs> so that didn't go well. I didn't sell a lot of things, as you might expect. I got, I got cursed at a lot, and people hated, hated me. But I would call some elderly people, and this is very shameful. The elderly people were a lot nicer, a lot easier to talk into things. And this is a very shameful thing. But I'd be calling these elderly people, and I'd be like, yes, we are selling the jitterbug phone. And this jitterbug phone is exactly for your generation, Betty. Uh, it has nice big numbers, it glows in the dark, uh, it vibrates whenever you need to take a pill. And if you buy this jitter, if you buy this jitterbug phone right now, we have a really special offer. It's only $28.95 a month. How does that sound? Yes, yes, you have to buy the activation fee and the connection fee and you got to buy insurance. But $28.95 a month and you're only locked in for a 10-year contract. At <laughs> which point they'd say, I'm not going to be here in 10 years, buddy. Uh, just teasing. But then I'd say something like, well, listen, if you, if, you, if you buy the jitterbug phone right now, we will throw in the clapper. You will get the clapper. How does it sound to you to be able to clap yourself to sleep every night? And usually with the older people, I was able to sway them, and I'd say, why don't you go get your credit card, and we'll, we'll sign you up for the jitterbug today. I hated that, because the only way I made money is if I sold to people that didn't want the item I was selling. And so I had to overcome these objections and... Finally get their credit card number for something they knew they didn't want and I could only take about a month of this job And I went into the guy and said listen. I I hate this thing I I, I feel I I feel dirty after I'm here. I feel like I need to take a shower And he goes totally understandable. Have a good life. I was like, okay (laughs) So I quit that job and fast forward about ten years later I had another job in Michigan that I've shared with you before called Starbucks and I worked at Starbucks for about a month as well, but this time it wasn't because I didn't have the lack of confidence, it's because I didn't have the lack of training, or I had the lack of training. The lady, the manager in charge, would not train me how to make drinks, and I have no idea why. I was hired to be a barista, and I said to the lady interviewing me, I said, listen, I have no experience at all selling coffee. I have no experience at all making any drinks. And she said, no problem. We're going to train you. And I said, okay, fantastic. So I went to my first day at Starbucks. It was downtown Ann Arbor, Michigan. It is the second busiest Starbucks in the entire nation. And I had absolutely no idea how to make one drink. So I kept asking this lady, this manager, to train me because I told her I don't know how to make anything. And she always told me the same thing. I'm too busy. I can't. There's too much going on right now. Why don't you just go do some dishes, take the garbage out, wipe off the tables, and then later this afternoon I'll be able to train you. But day after day after day, she was unwilling and unable to train me. And so I went to her saying, listen, I know you don't have a lot of time, but I can't do this job unless someone shows me how to make the drinks. And she said, I have a plan, Todd. And this was like day seven or something like that, that I'd worked there without knowing how to make one drink. She said, why don't you go up to the line where the people are and just just throw yourself into the mix. And she said, go up to the register and if you have any questions, ask your coworkers and they will show you how to make drinks. And I said," I don't know, that doesn't sound like a great plan. I don't know anything. And she goes, It's okay, go on up there and they'll 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 be really helpful. Do you think they were helpful? There were about fifty people in line at all times. And so the first thing I did is I went up to the register and I didn't know how to do the register. So people would come up and they'd order the drink, tall non-fat latte with caramel drizzle, and I'd be trying to find it on their thing, going and I'd be hitting the wrong thing. <laughs> and they'd have to come out and exit out and do it all over again and that, after a while, the coworkers started to get very frustrated at me because I started to punch in everything wrong, and I was saying the drinks in the wrong order, going, I need something with caramel drizzle. It's a, it's a, it's a latte. I think it's tall. They hated me. So after a while, they said, listen, why don't we switch? You're not good at the register. Go down to the other end of the line, and, and you make drinks, and we'll yell the drinks out to you. And I said, I don't think that's a good plan. And they said, just switch. So I went down to the other end of the line, and now they're yelling drinks out at me. I don't know... Anything. Okay, so here they go. Grande ice sugar-free vanilla latte with soy milk. Triple venti soy no-foam latte. Triple venti half-sweet non-fat caramel macchiato. Decaf soy latte with an extra shot of cream. Tall half calf soy latte at 120 degrees. And I'm going, uh... And so I'm holding the cup. I'm trying to write down what they're saying, and I'm asking them, where do I start? What do I do? What goes in this drink? Every single ingredient, every single time. And how do you think those co-workers treated me? Very rudely. <laughs> they eventually said to me, dude, what goes in a latte? What? You don't know what a cappuccino is. You don't know what a macchiato is. They said, please, just leave the line. You're making this process way, way harder for me. That was incredibly frustrating because I couldn't do my job properly. And I eventually went to the woman and said, I, I think I need to find another job. And she goes, no, you're doing great. I said, I'm not doing great. Everybody hates me. Everybody's yelling at me. I'm not doing well. I can't make any drinks. And I said, I found another job that I'm going to be good at. I have to go do that job. She goes, you really don't have to go. And I said, I really do. And so I started a job. And this is my final, my final story here, which is really brief. I, I started a job at what was called Circuit City. And It was nice because I had the confidence. I had sold TVs before. I had been that guy. I knew what I was doing. I had the training to sell TVs. I worked at Starbucks for about a month. I worked at Circuit City for about two months. Why? Because they closed. So three jobs. I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the training. And then I didn't have the tools because the store literally shut down. (laughs) So those early jobs for me didn't go well. But did you ever have something like that that you didn't have the proper training, tools, or confidence to do? We're going to look at something today from John 15 that could be something like that. If we didn't have the proper tools and training and confidence to do, this thing we're going to look at today would be sort of frustrating. But I want you to join me in John 15, verses 1 to 17. And I want you to listen to what the Lord says. Listen to the Word of God. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask and the, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. That's our text today. We're calling our lesson today Fruitful Branches. And we have five goals today that we hope to get to. Five goals, and I want to just share these goals with you. They're right there on your bulletin as well. But these are our five goals today. Number one, Is very simple, to be amazed by the truths in this text. I want these things to amaze us. And if we understand them properly, they will amaze us. That is goal number one. Goal number two is to understand that God desires, expects, and even demands much fruit from our lives. And we'll talk about what that fruit is. Number three goal is to grasp the fact that we are incapable, on our own, of bearing the fruit that God demands. We need help. Number four is to discover the significance of us being and staying connected to the Lord Jesus for bearing the fruit that God desires. That is goal number four, to see Jesus as crucial. And our goal number five is to get at loving Jesus and our Father through obedience to his commandment to love one another. That's our five goals today. We're going to get all those goals from the text. I want to start with goal number one. I want us to be amazed by these truths today. Amazed. As I do sometimes, I like to look up words in the dictionary just so we understand what this word means. I looked up the word amaze, and it said this, to surprise greatly, to fill with astonishment. I looked up the synonyms for the word amaze, and this is what it said. Astonish, astound, surprise, bewilder, stun, stagger, flabbergast, shock, startle, shake, stop someone in their tracks, stupefy. Leave open-mouthed, leave aghast, take someone's breath away, dumbfound, dazed, perplex, confound, dismay, jolt, shake up. Isn't that interesting for amaze? I want all of those things to take place with us today, because if you understand the truths of this text, I think you will be amazed. And the first truth is, that is amazing to us, should be amazing to us, is number one, that God is our creator. God is our creator, and what we think about God, what you picture about God, maybe what media has taught us about God, is that what? That he's holy? We learn that from the word of God, but we can also learn that from from common pop culture. We can learn that God is almighty. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. God, even to people who don't follow Jesus, is a terrifying being. If you've ever watched media where they talk about God, they kind of picture this person in the sky who has lightning bolts if you do something wrong that God is terrifying, that he's awesome. But that today is not the amazing truth because I believe most of that would be common knowledge about our God. What we want to learn about God today, I want you to find from Exodus 34. If you take your Bibles, go to Exodus 34. I want to show you a passage of Scripture where the Lord describes himself. And this is the part I want to amaze us today. Exodus 34, look at verses 1 to 9. To give you a little context for what's going on here, Moses is going back up to the mountain to get the tablets of the Ten Commandments so that he can, once again, display them before God's people because the first time he did that, he broke the commandments, the tablets of the commandments. So he's going up again to get new tablets. And as he goes up to the mountain, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 9. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. He said, be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Does anyone remember the picture of Mount Sinai? A trembling, shaking mountain. He said, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is where the Lord describes himself. And look at what he says in verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take for us your inheritance. And I want you to notice how the Lord describes himself. He could describe himself as almighty because he is almighty. He could describe himself as all-knowing. He could describe himself as terrifying and awesome. But the first thing the Lord says about himself is this. I am compassionate. I am merciful. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I abound in steadfast love. Aren't you thankful that is describing our God? Isn't that amazing that he is terrifying? He is awesome. He is all-knowing and almighty, and he has the power to destroy us all. But what we find in Exodus 34 is that he's compassionate. Our God, our Lord is compassionate. And that's amazing because if you know anything about your soul, that's not what's expected because it's not what's deserved. What is deserved is that we stand before God in our sins, and he damns us for it. Because he's holy, and we've sinned, and we've rebelled against him. But as we're going to learn here by looking at this passage in John 15, the Lord is compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And that's the first amazing truth. And I hope that leaves your mouth hanging open, because that's what it's there for. It's there for so that you get a picture of God that maybe you didn't expect. Because our God is complex. It's not like he isn't holy. He is. It's not like he isn't almighty or terrifying, because he is. But the fact that our Lord is compassionate should amaze us. And number two, amazing truth, is that if you read John 15, it seems like God wants us alive. He wants us alive and he wants us with him forever. He does not desire that any of us perish in our sins. And that's the compassionate part. The Lord, the God of the universe, wants us to find eternal life through Jesus. And we find in John three seventeen that the reason he sent Jesus to this earth was not to condemn us, but to save us. He sent His Son in order to save us so that we might be with our God, our compassionate, slow to anger, steadfast, loving God, forever. So God is not out to get us. He's not out to get us. He is out to make us healthy and blessed souls forever. Isn't that amazing? Is it amazing that God could be out to get us, could be the angry God? That sometimes we picture in media about God, that He has lightning bolts and He's ready to strike us anytime we do something wrong. But God wants us healthy and blessed forever. And that's the second amazing truth. And the third amazing truth that we find here in the text, which is sort of a different context all in itself, is that God is the vine dresser. And we're going to learn there's three different roles here in this text. God the Father is the vine dresser, and Jesus, our Lord, is the vine. And this third amazing truth is that Jesus even has to submit to the will of his Father. That our Lord Jesus does not do anything different than he expects us to do. He does not demand us to do anything that he himself is unwilling and unable to do. He is the vine, and he submits himself to the vine dresser. So whatever Jesus is going to require of us today, he's going to require it because he himself has to do this as well. Nothing more, nothing less. And the word amaze at its core, I read a bunch of definitions and synonyms for the word amaze, but at the core, at the root, the word amaze actually means to put your mind in a maze. And it's right there in the word, amaze. It means to put your mind in a maze. And I want those truths to do that for us today. To find the complexity, the love, the the staggering grace of our God. Because this has to set the stage for what he is about to say to us today. Because there are some hard things to listen to today. There are some severe sounding things. We're going to talk about things like fire and being cast off and pruning. But we have to understand that God is not out to get us. God is here to make us blessed and healthy forever. And I hope you find that amazing. So that's goal number one, is to be amazed by these truths. We could linger there and we should linger there because it it expects it but we need to move on because this passage has something for us today and the second goal we have today is to understand that God desires expects and even demands much fruit from our lives it says in verses 1 and 2 let me read it once again he said i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit look at verse 8 By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I don't know if you've ever seen some of those older movies, uh, the Jason Bourne movies from the early 2000s. Um, There's one uh, little phrase in one of those movies I just want to mention here. In the second movie, I believe it is, they're tracking this sort of black ops, government-made, you know, person called Jason Bourne. And he's kind of gone rogue and they're trying to get him back under their control. And so they're following this guy, Jason Bourne, and he comes to this town called Versailles. And they sort of have them on their camera. And they don't usually get this guy on their camera because he usually flies under the radar. But they got him on camera, and they're sort of in this room kind of talking about how they're supposed to get him and capture him. And, and they're saying questions like this, like, why is he here? Why is he in Versailles? Why now? And a, c- a couple of the people watching him saying, is this random? Is he doing something random? One of the other people say, says, he's making his first mistake. And one of the ladies sort of chimes in, who's been with Jason Bourne ever since the beginning of his training. You guys maybe remember this part. And she says this phrase. She says, they don't do random. They don't make mistakes. She goes, everything has a purpose. Everything has an objective. And yes, that's a Hollywood movie. And yes, that's not true about anybody who lives upon this earth. Even a black ops government-made person can make mistakes and do things that are random. But I want you to understand today, our God does not. Our God does not do anything random. Our God does not make one single mistake. God always has an objective. God always has a purpose. God always does what is important for his name and for our benefit. And so God is our creator, and we learn that. And he uniquely designed us to do something specific, something that pleases him, something that glorifies his name, and that's where we find our purpose. We find our purpose that we have been created by God to do something that pleases that God. And that's an amazing purpose, guys. I want you to understand that today. This thing that we talk about, this Christianity, we can get kind of in a rut with it and go, oh, just another sermon, just another Sunday. We have to remember, we are here on purpose. We have been woken up today on purpose to do something that God delights in, that God expects us to do, that glorifies God's name. And in this relationship we see here in John three fifteen. Or excuse me, John 15, there are three roles God is the vine dresser. He says that right from verse number one. Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches. So there's three roles. The vine dresser, the vine, and the branches. Yes, it's a metaphor. You're not a literal branch, nor am I. Jesus is not a literal vine and God is not a literal vine dresser as we think about it. But they're all metaphors. They're all illustrations for what is happening in this relationship. And all of these roles that we have just mentioned are different and unique and special. But they all have the exact same goal. And that goal is to bear fruit for God. That's the vine dresser's goal, that's the vine's goal, and that should be the goal of every single branch to bear fruit for God. Fruit that God finds acceptable, fruit that God finds pleasing, fruit that God finds sweet smelling. And these fruits that He is talking about are fruits of righteousness, they're not bananas and apples and grapes. That, too, is a metaphor. That, too, is an illustration. But God is saying, you are created. You are sustained. I have given you all things so that you will bear me much fruit. Fruits of righteousness. And the very nature of branches is for bearing fruit. Right? Shocking. That's why branches exist. Look what I have here. Look what I found. You know where I found this? Right outside our building. What is this? It's a tree branch. It's a branch that fell from the tree. I was lucky, lucky enough to find this. This thing is gold, isn't it? Man, I, I, I'm so glad I found this thing. No, this is a branch. This branch represents something. Okay, This represents something. This branch's goal was to bear fruit, to bear something, to bear a flower, to, bear, to bud something, to bear some sort of fruit that the tree had. But it fell from the tree. And now what does it bear? Nothing. Do you notice that? It bears nothing. And this is a representation of us after our rebellion from God. We fell from the vine. And as soon as we fell from the vine, we became like this to God. Useless, dead, dried, for no purpose whatsoever except for fire tender. And that's what he's explaining to us today. That branches had a purpose. Your purpose as a branch is to bear fruit that God can go and grab when he wants it. But when you fall from the tree and from the vine and sever yourself from the vine, you become dead and useless to God and to his kingdom. And that's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem that all of us at one point had this happen for us, myself included. We became like this in God's eyes. Now, if we stay that way, that's even a bigger problem because now we only have one purpose to God, and we find that right in the passage. It says he's going to take the dead, dry, useless branches at the end and he's going to take them and throw them into the fire because that's the only purpose left for a dead, dry, useless branch is to take it and throw it into the fire. But that is not the point of this text today. The point of this text today is not to depress us that we are dead, dried, and useless because of our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus has made it so that we can once again be connected to the vine, be connected to the God, and have a purpose once again. I want to take your Bible one more time. Take your eyes and go to Luke 13. This will be our last flip of the day. I want you to go to Luke 13. In Luke 13, we find sort of a perfect parallel passage for what we're talking about today. Luke 13, verses 6 to 9, a really short passage. But it represents exactly what we're talking about here today. This is a parable. It's called the Parable of the Barren Fig Tree. In verse 6 of Luke 13, it says this And he told them a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then after it should bear, then, excuse me, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Do you notice something there? It's problematic to God and to the vine himself that we are bearing no fruit, if we're bearing no fruit. Because we're useless to God and useless to his kingdom. But do you remember that our God is compassionate? Do you also know that God is patient, slow to anger? God, even in this parable, is telling us, listen, I don't cut down things quickly. I'm patient with my people. I'm patient. Let's dig around it. Let's put manure around it. Let's make sure this vine, this tree, has every opportunity to bear the fruit that I desire and delight in. And if at that point it does not bear fruit, then we will. We will take it and we will throw it in the fire. Flip back over to John 15. John 15 is representing this for us, that God wants us fruitful. Fruitful for his glory. Isn't he deserving of that? Isn't God deserving to find fruits of righteousness come from our life? And he's patient for it. God is patient so that we will bear the fruit that he expects and demands. And God is deserving for this because he created us for this. He even sent Jesus to this earth to redeem us when we became like this. Because we became, all of us, like this to God. Dead, dry, and useless to him. And he could have taken all of us and thrown us into the fire and said, this is what you do with dead, dry branches. But he didn't. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth to redeem us, to connect us back to himself. And we mustn't waste this opportunity. We mustn't waste this opportunity because if you are once again connected to the vine because of the Lord Jesus Christ, you now have a divine, glorious opportunity to once again bear fruit for God. Our job is to glorify God, and we need to discover today how best to do that. How best to glorify our God, because he's worthy of it. He sent Jesus to die for you and for me. To save you so that you could be with God forever. Do you see the love of our God? He's not out to get us. He's out to capture us and bring us with him and love us for the rest of eternity. That is our God, and I want you to find out today that he is deserving of us bearing much fruit. If we don't desire to bear fruit, even if we say we're followers of Jesus, then something's gonna happen if we don't bear fruit on the last day. God's gonna look at our branch and he's gonna see no fruit and our fruitlessness is going to reveal the truth about us. Because even if you claim to follow Christ, even if you say you're a Christian, even if you say you're a churchgoer, if you don't have any fruit growing off of your branch, God is going to consider you dead and useless on the last day. And he's going to throw you into the fire. Because every single person that gets connected back to the vine, we're going to discover today, will bear fruit. They will bear fruit. And that's our job today, to find out how we can best glorify our God. If we do desire to bear fruit, we will listen to this text today. And once God begins to see fruit take shape in our lives, he does something like every farmer and gardener knows how to do. He takes out the pruning shears. He takes out the pruning shears. Anyone ever done that? Anyone ever take pruning shears out and clipped around a bush or, or a tree or a vine just to make? What do you do when you're pruning? You're clipping off the dead parts. You're clipping off the parts that make it hard for fruit to grow. That's exactly what God does. Once he sees that we are willing to bear fruit, he takes out the pruning shears. And I think this is sort of an illustration for trials. God takes us through some hard things so that those hard things can actually strengthen us. Strengthen our faith so that we're in a better opportunity to bear fruit. Because God is the vine dresser. And he wants fruit more than we want fruit. And every gardener and every farmer knows what it's like to prune. And every gardener and every farmer also knows what it's like to expect fruit from their crop. Right? Every gardener. When you plant something, when you plant a seed and you put water it and you put it in the sunlight and you wait and you wait, what do you expect to find? You expect to find the crop or the fruit that you planted. Every farmer, it's the same thing. They plant, they till the land, they put water on it, they have the sunlight hit it in the best possible way. They're patient with it. But what do they finally and fully expect to get? A crop. They expect to get fruit. And when they don't, don't you think it's frustrating? Don't you think it's frustrating to every gardener and every farmer who planted and did the work necessary to get the crop they expected and they find none? We should be desiring this fruit. We should be wanting this fruit in our lives. We should have this as our saying to God. God, more fruit. More fruit for my life. You are worthy of more fruit, God. I want to bear fruit for you. I want you to find what you expect and you deserve and you desire. Because you care for me with an endless love. You care for me with a steadfast love. You sent your son to die for me when I was this in your eyes. God, I want to bear fruit for your your life, for your glory, for your pleasure. Goal number three is to grasp the fact that we are incapable on our own of bearing the fruit that God demands. I hope that you want to bear fruit. I hope that is your goal today. But we need to find something really important here today. We need help in bearing fruit. We need a lot of help in bearing fruit. We, on our own, are incapable of bearing the fruit that God demands. And branches are not special by themselves. You guys know that? Uh, I didn't have to fight anybody off for this. I was out there on my own and I saw a branch and no one else was trying to fight me for it. You You guys remember Black Friday? I've told you some of those stories where, you know, you go and try to get the last whatever it is and you have to fight a couple people for it. Nobody was fighting me for this branch. There's no value in this branch. And I didn't have to ask the landlords if I could take it. I figured they'd be okay with it. I just took the branch and I brought it in. You know why? Because they're not special. This is no longer special. Has anyone ever felt bad when you walk into a forest or the wooded area and break one of these? You ever took out your phone and Instagrammed this and said, wow, look at this branch I found. No, nobody does that. Uh, The other day, and this is sort of weird and sad, I I hit a squirrel with my car. I had roadkill, and I felt bad about that. You know, that was my first roadkill in like 20 years of driving. And for for a while, I felt bad about that, going, that was a living creature. I felt bad about that. But when I break one of these, does anyone feel bad? Nobody feels bad. It's dead, dried, and useless. Now, people love and enjoy the fruit that grows off of branches, right? We love the fruit that grows off the branches. But the branch without fruit has absolutely no glory at all. And branches that do have fruit, as we're going to find cannot take the credit for the fruit that they have. They can only return credit and glory to the vine because the vine or the tree is the one that has the nourishing, nutrient-rich qualities. The branch is the one just connected to the vine. The branch bears fruit, but all the credit for the fruit is given to the vine because we are an extension of the vine. And Jesus states that very clearly here today. We are an extension of him. He is the true vine. We are the branches. And apart from him, in verses 5, he says, apart from me, listen to this, you can do nothing. Do you know that? That apart from Jesus, this is what you're capable of. Nothing. No fruit. Nothing that brings God glory. Nothing that makes God happy. Nothing. If we don't remain connected to Jesus, we cannot bear One ounce of fruit that God delights in. Making us dead, dry, useless to our God. Therefore, Jesus' value to our souls cannot be overstated. It cannot be overstated. Every single one of us needs Jesus every day of our lives. Do we know that? Not just for salvation. Every day of our lives. I'm going to do something here. It's probably going to make you scratch your head a little bit. I have a little gift for you today. Okay? And I'm just gonna pass these around. I just want you to pass these around. Take one and pass it around. You guys guys have seen Oprah, right? I have a gift for every one of you today. It's a grape branch. It's a grape branch. I want every single person to take a little grape branch. Don't eat it. It has nothing beneficial. And I just want to use this as an illustration today. Don't be weirded out by it. They don't, nobody ate off these, okay? We just pluck the grapes off and put them right in the thing. You're not going to get any germs. And I don't want you to eat it, of course. It's a grape branch. It's a grape branch. And I want you to have a representation of something today. I want you to have a representation today of what every single one of us is when we're not connected to Jesus. It's right before you. It's right in your hand. You are a dead, dried, useless branch. And as you hold that thing, I know what every single one of you wants to do with it. You want to do what God wants to do with ease. You want to throw it away. And you're probably going to throw it away. I don't expect anybody to take it home and put it around a necklace. Put it in their car. I don't expect anybody to Instagram it, although that would be funny. I don't expect anyone to keep that longer than maybe this service at the most. But I want you to hang on to it just for now because I have another purpose for that great branch, okay? So hang on to that grape branch. It's actually going to produce something, okay? But I want you to have an illustration today of what you are before God without being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, if you're dead and dried and useless before God, it's bad, but there's hope, okay? If you are like this before God because you're not connected to Jesus, it's bad, but there's hope. But... If you remain this way until the final day, the final day of judgment, and you stand before God like this, according to the text, he is going to throw us into the fire. Because there's no purpose for us anymore. There's no use for us anymore. And we have to understand today that Jesus is our connection to God. Without Jesus, I don't have a connection to God. Without Jesus, I am not loved by God. Without Jesus, I cannot pray to God. Jesus is our connection. If we are connected to and abiding in Jesus, we are going to bear much fruit for God. And God is going to consider us useful. Useful for his purposes. Useful for his kingdom. Useful for his glory. God wants us fruitful. I hope you will learn that today. He wants us fruitful. He wants us bearing fruit. He wants us useful. But he's not going to force us. He's going to open the door. He's going to give us every possible benefit to bear fruit, but he's not going to force us. We have to start seeing that Jesus is our connection to God. Jesus is crucial and essential for us pleasing God. Do you understand that today? That Jesus is crucial? Is Jesus more to you than just your stamp to get into the kingdom of heaven? Is he more than just your ticket? Is Jesus more than that to you? Do you rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ every single day? If you stand before God someday without that fruit, we're all doomed. And the only way we can bear that fruit, which you're gonna find here in a minute, is through abiding in Jesus. So what do you want to do with your grape branch right now? Wanna keep you wanna throw it back at me? I know you probably wanna get rid of it. Okay, but I want you to hang on to it just for a moment, okay? Because we're going to find a purpose for that great branch. But just hang on to it for a moment. Goal number four is this. To discover the significance of us being and staying connected to the Lord Jesus for bearing the fruit that God desires. That is really important today. We have to understand that we must stay connected to Jesus. Jesus said that abiding in him is the secret to bearing fruit. For a branch, we have one very simple job. Stay connected to Jesus. Now, our goal is to bear fruit, right? We know that's our goal. Our goal as branches are to bear fruit. But our job in doing so is really simple. Stay connected to Jesus. If we stay connected to Jesus, fruitfulness will be a guarantee fruitfulness will be a guarantee for every single person who stays connected to Jesus. And we must see that as our first and primary goal is to always find Jesus and stay connected to him. He is the power that is to bear the fruit that God delights in and God expects. But we also also must see this, that if we don't stay connected to Jesus, then fruitfulness, fruitlessness, I should say, excuse me, is a guarantee. If we don't stay connected to Jesus, fruitlessness is a guarantee. Bearing the fruit is an impossibility if we disconnect from Jesus. It's an impossibility. Jesus is your life today. He's your life every day. He's your life every single day. He's your life every single hour. If you disconnect from Jesus, this is what we are. We need Jesus every single hour. There's an old song that says that. I need thee every hour. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you need Jesus every hour? And if so, are you abiding in him? Because that is the goal of the text today. We have to start seeing the contrast in Scripture. There's this great contrast in Scripture. We find one half of it in John fifteen five. In John 15, 5, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do... Someone finish it. Nothing. Nothing. Do you know what Philippians four thirteen says? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you notice that? On one side, without Jesus, you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing that God delights in. Nothing that God expects. Nothing that God is deserving of. But in Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So do you want to do all or nothing? Without Christ, you do nothing. With Christ, you're capable of all things that please God. And we have to grasp that that truth today. We have to take hold of that truth today. If we don't get that truth right today, nothing else is going to happen. There is no goal number two if we don't get goal number one. Goal number one is abiding in Jesus. And if we don't abide in Jesus, there's no step number two because there's no possibility of anything good hanging off our branch. We have to see that our number one goal is to abide in Jesus. And if we disconnect from Jesus for any reason, We will be dead and no fruit from our lives will be possible. So abiding in Jesus is our number one goal. And without that, there is no goal number two. Because all the fruit stems from the power and the ability of Jesus to nourish us. Every single fruit is a credit to Jesus. Are you overlooking Jesus today? If you overlook Jesus in the Christian life, you do nothing. In Colossians 2, verses 6 to 7, one of my favorite passages, it says, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I'll say it again. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Nourished and built up in him and established in the faith. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, as you've been saved, now walk in him. Jesus says that if we abide in him, that we can ask God for anything, anything, and expect to get it. Because when we ask God for things in Jesus' name, God is going to expect and know that everything we're asking for is for the possibility of fruit-bearing purposes. God will give us anything we want. If we ask in Jesus' name, if we're connected to Jesus, he will give us anything we need. Because he wants fruit from our lives more than we do. And we can go to God and say, God, I need this. I need your strength. I need your peace, God. I need your forgiveness, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit. I need these things, Father, to bear fruit. Please give them to me. And God says, ask because I will give it to you. I want fruit hanging from your branch. Come and get the answers that you need. And that's a wonderful promise that we find from our God. And are you learning something here that you have to bear fruit? You must bear fruit. If you're like this on the last day, it's going to be a fiery end for every one of us. But you can't bear fruit apart from Jesus. The only way we can bear fruit today is by being connected to the vine. And one day, every single person who gets to heaven with fruit hanging all over the branches, what will they do? They will give glory to the vine. They will give credit to the vine to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, he is the vine. I am the branch. Apart from him, I could do nothing. Goal number five is this. If we can understand that we must bear fruit, if we can understand that we are incapable of bearing fruit of our own, if we can understand that Jesus is our nourishing vine, and we must stay connected to him. Goal number five is this, to get at loving our Lord through obedience to his commandment, to love one another. Because remember, our main goal, our chief end as God's people, is to bear fruit. That is our chief end as people, as branches, is to bear fruit for God. Verses 3 says this. Verses 8 to 13 says this. Verses 16 to 17 says this. That is our goal, to bear fruit for God. And we talked about how abiding in Jesus is our number one goal as Christians. But now we have to figure something out. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? What does it look like to abide in Jesus? Because I'm guessing most of us assume that we already are abiding in Jesus. But we need to find out from the text today, what does it look like for a soul that understands the need for Jesus and wants to abide in him? If we look at verse 3, look at verse 3 in John 15. This is what Jesus says. Already you were clean because of the word I've spoken to you. We find out pretty easily, pretty simply, that our connection to the vine is a credit to the vine. Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. My salvation, my cleanliness before God is a credit to Jesus. Amen? Jesus spoke salvation into our souls. Jesus sought us. We did not seek out Jesus. The vine grew the branches. The branches did not seek out the vine. We, as dead, dried, useless branches, were not saying to ourselves, We got to get connected to that vine once again. No. The vine came and sought us. The vine gave up his life for us. The vine spoke salvation and life into our souls. Jesus gets every ounce of credit for life in our souls, every ounce. Because he's the one that restored us. He's the one that died for us. We didn't care about Jesus until Jesus cared about us. And I'm going to say that as confidently as I can today. Before Jesus cared about me and saved me, I didn't care about him. I didn't. I care about him today. You know why I care about him today? Because he first loved me. Because he first cared about me. We were saved and made clean by Jesus' gift of life-giving grace. It is all to his credit and glory. And this proves that we have no potential for life or fruit-bearing outside of Jesus granting it to us. He's pretty important, isn't he? Jesus is pretty important to our souls. If we are not staying connected to him, it's an impossibility to please God. It's an impossibility to have any eternal confidence on the last day. But it seems like reading this, when you can glaze over John 15, it seems like just from reading this on the surface, that we we only have to have one thing to do. We just need to believe in Jesus and everything is right. Doesn't it seem that way by reading this text going, oh, I just need to believe in Jesus and I will have the fruit necessary. But that's not really true because of verses 9, 10, 12, and 17. Can I read those verses one more time? Listen to verse 9, 10, 12, and 17. Listen to what it says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And look at verse 17. These things I command you, that you will love one another. There's something for us to do here, people. There's something for us to do. Jesus left this earth, and as we looked at from John 14 last week, he left something for us to do. Continue his works upon the earth. We are to believe in Jesus. We are to stay connected to him by faith. But there is one more element to this abiding in Jesus that we need to understand today. We, in actuality, the best way to abide in Jesus, beyond just believing in him, is obedience to him. That is nothing we can overlook. If we overlook that, then we are not going to abide in Jesus. Because Jesus says four times at least, obey. Obey and you will abide. Obey and you will abide. The entire scriptures are filled with this thread of truth that listening to the words of Jesus and obeying them is proof of us abiding in Jesus. Most people in the the world, in the American society and culture that we live in, say they have faith in Jesus. But how do you know? How can you test that? How can you reveal in your life if you actually believe in Jesus or not? As we've looked at several times, it's validated by obedience. The way that you know that you're abiding in Jesus, it's not good enough just to say, I think I am. I hope I am. We'll see. I'm going to stand before God and I hope 50-50 that I've abided in Jesus. Is that good enough for your soul? For the eternal nature of your soul, is it good to chalk it up to 50-50? 60-40? 90-10? Don't you need to know and have confidence that on the last day, the, God himself will say, yes, you were connected to my son. Yes, there is fruit hanging off of your branch. And the way that we validate this is by listening to the words of Jesus and practicing them. And the entire scriptures are filled with this thread and theme. We cannot say we love Jesus. We cannot say we believe in Jesus if we don't do what he told us to do. And we find very easily in Scripture by reading it that faith is obedience and obedience is faith. They're so connected to one another that faith is obedience and obedience to Jesus is faith. You can't separate them. None of us can separate those two things. You can't say, I have faith, but I don't have obedience. No, you can't. They're one thing. They're two sides of the same coin. And you can't say, I I obey Jesus, but I don't believe in him. Who would ever say that? If you obey Jesus, of course you believe in him. If you obey Jesus, of course you love him. This means that we are not just waiting for Jesus to do everything through us like a puppeteer and a puppet. That's not what this relationship is. He is not the puppeteer. We are not the puppets. We have been given a will and the ability to choose and make decisions, haven't we? And God wants to see that we will participate according to the way he taught us, according to the rules that he gave us. And doing it the way he taught us is proof that we love him and desire to please him. And also that we understand that we have a need for Christ's help in order to do that. Therefore, obedience to Jesus is abiding in Jesus. No one would ever or could ever obey Jesus faithfully without a love for him. We know that, right? No one would ever do that. No one would ever say, I want to learn the, w- the words of Christ and I want to produce them in my life without a love for him. Without belief in him. In fact, Jesus himself says that's exactly how he abided in the Father's love. He abided in the Father's love not just by being his son. Jesus abided in the Father's love by obeying his commandments. Look at verse 10. John 15, 10, if you love me, excuse me, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Listen to the next part. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. How did Jesus abide in his father's love? Just by being his son? No, by obedience to his commandments. So Jesus' sonship, this is really wild, but Jesus' sonship was validated by his obedience. Couldn't any kook say, I'm the Son of God? I'm the Son of God. Believe in me. Follow me. Jesus obeyed every word that the Father told him. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy that was about him. Jesus validated the fact that he came from heaven by his obedience. And now he says to us, his people, do the same. Do the same. Don't just say you believe in me. Obey me. Abide in me. And as we're going to find out here, love my people. So we want to love God. This is a noble desire if we want to love God today. Jesus is our vine, and if we stay connected to Jesus, we can love and please God. But again, how? What should we be doing in order to love God? What should you and I do today if we want to love God? Well, God and Jesus have this wonderful, loving relationship that if we pay attention, we can learn everything we need to know about love. See, God looked upon his rebellious people when we were in this state. God looked upon us, and he felt both hatred that the fact that we weren't bearing fruit. He hated the fact that we were living for sin, dead, worldly things. And he felt hatred by that. But you know what he also felt? Compassion. He wanted this to stop. But he wasn't ready to throw us into the fire. So you know what he did? He sent his son to say, love my people, because I want them connected once again. I want them bearing fruit once again. I hate sin and I want the earth rid of sinners. But I'm not ready to throw my people into the fire. I want them restored. And he did the exact same thing in the days of Noah. If you remember the days of Noah, he hated the world. It says back in the scriptures in the Old Testament, he was sorry he made mankind. That's how wicked and corrupt we had become. He was sorry. He was regretting the fact that he had made us, but he wasn't ready to destroy them yet. He waited an entire generation to see if the people in that day would correct themselves, would come back to God, would once again start bearing the fruit that he expected and desired. But they didn't. Every single person continued on the sinful worldly path except for eight people. And then he said, I'm sending a flood. I'm going to destroy the sinners. And that is an illustration for what's going on today. Right now, we are in the waiting period. God is waiting. God is doing everything necessary so that we will bear fruit for God. He's waiting. He's patient. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. But he's saying to us today, make sure you listen. You must be connected to my son, and you must bear the fruit that I demand. Otherwise, if you stand before me like this, I will have no option but to throw you into the fire so who was going to offer God this solution to both destroy sin and allow him an opportunity to save his people? You guessed it. His son, Jesus. Because God is compassionate, Jesus came to earth to do the work of God. He came and he volunteered his life so that he could come and pay for the sins of God's people, so that God's people could be free from their sin. So God's people could once again have the opportunity to bear fruit for God. So Jesus did two things. He paid for our sins and he freed us from that sin so that we weren't this any longer. We were connected to God once again and we could bear the fruit that God expects and demands. And you know why Jesus did that? Why did Jesus do that? Because he loves us, yes. But there was a higher purpose because he loved God. He loved God's people because he loved the Father. And we need to pay attention to that today. Jesus said, I want to love you, God. You are my God, you are my Father, and I want to love you above above any desire that I have. And God said, if you want to love me, go to earth and save my people. So Jesus did. And you know what happened because Jesus did that? God wanted to love Jesus. God highly exalted him. God gave him the name that is above every name. He said, you're the Lord of lords. You're the king of kings. You're supreme over everything. And I'm going to love your people. I'm going to love your church. I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to love your people, Jesus, because I want to love you. Do you notice something there? Jesus wanted to love God, so he loved his people. God wants to love Jesus, So he loves his church. Are we noticing something here? If we want to love God, we must love Jesus. Correct? We cannot love God without giving our entire selves to Christ. This is the way it's been set up. This is God's plan. This is the way God constructed it. If you want to love God, give yourself fully to my son. That is how you will love me. And even if we understand that today, we have another question. Well, then how do I love Jesus? God, I want to love you. I want to love your son. But how do I love your son? And this is where it gets interesting. There are several ways to love Jesus, right? We can praise. We can worship him in prayer and song and thanksgiving. We can and must say no to idols of the heart. Those are ways to love Jesus. But you know the best way to love Jesus according to the scriptures? Love one another. Love one another. Love God's people. If you want to love Jesus, love God's people. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Why? Because that's what God does. When God loves Jesus, he loves his people. When Jesus loves God, he loved his people. If you want to love God, love Jesus. If you want to love Jesus, love his people. It's interesting that the way God loved Jesus was by loving his bride. And the way God loves Jesus is by loving his bride. Therefore, since we are here to continue the works of Christ, like we learned in John 14, Jesus wants us to love him by loving his people because love always defers to another. You guys may have heard the term pay it forward. Pay it forward is not a biblical term. It is not found in the Bible, but I do believe it represents the model we're learning here today because love defers to another. Maybe someone has said that to you before. They've done something kind or compassionate and they said to you, pay it forward. And what that means is don't love me, love someone else. Love another person. If we want to love God, we're taught that we should love Jesus. And if we want to love Jesus, we're taught that we should love one another. And I want you to consider, if someone would ask me today, Tata, how can I best love you? How should I love you? I want to love you. What is the best way to do that? Wouldn't my best answer be love my wife and love my children? Love my family. If you want to love me, love my kids. If you want to love me, do something nice for my wife. Because I love them. Do you remember in John twenty one fifteen where Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course, you know that I love you, Lord. And you know what Jesus' next words were? Feed my sheep, Peter. If you love me, feed my sheep. Love my people. Jesus learned this model from God. And then he exhibited this model to us on the earth. And then he says the exact same thing to us. Yes, we should love Jesus, every one of us. Yes, we should love God, every one of us. And yes, we should love them all best by loving God's people. If I want you to recall what the Apostle Paul taught us in Galatians 5.14, this is what he said. All the commandments are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you notice that? If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, every single commandment is fulfilled. You love God and you love others when you love one another. So it could be that the greatest commandment of all time, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, maybe what God is telling us today is take that energy that you want to love God with, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and give it to my people. Because when you love my people, they become more bearing fruit. And when you love me, you love my people as well. So God wants us to love us, or God wants us to love him. He wants us to love Jesus. But he wants us to love them, wants us to love people for Christ's sake. I want you to understand something today, that man doesn't necessarily always give you the motivation to love them. Do they? Man doesn't always give you the motivation to love man. Sometimes man is mean and angry and bitter, selfish. If you're looking for man to find the reason to love man, you won't find it a lot of times. But if you look at man and says, they were made in the image of God. They are God's people. And I've been commanded to love my God. And I want to love my God. I will love them for Christ's sake. And you know that's exactly what Jesus did. We had become very unlovable. We had become very unlovable to God and to Jesus. This is hard to love. The thing you're holding right now in your hand, if you're holding it in your hand, is hard to love. It's hard to value that. It's hard to treasure. Why? Because it's useless. It's garbage. I maybe could throw this into the fire and get some warmth from it. Very little. But there's there's not much purpose to this. And there's not much purpose to us when we're dead, dried, and useless. But by loving us, he restored us. And by restoring us, he made us once again be willing and able to bear fruit for God. I hope you're understanding this today. God wants to have more healthy branches. He wants more fruit in his kingdom. He wants an abundance of fruit growing off our branches. And so every single one of us needs to love one another in order for that to happen. We need more healthy souls. We need more healthy people. We need more people loving the will of God. So we have to love one another. And this is the fruit. This is the fruit today. The fruit is to love more people. And man is not the motivator for loving more people. God is the motivator. Man is not the motivator for loving one another. Jesus, your Lord, is the motivator for loving one another. The one who gave his life for you is your motivation today. Those were our five goals today. Our application follows. Number one, have we been amazed by God's compassion? Have we been amazed by God's love towards us when we were so undeserving of it? Because what do we actually deserve? What did this actually deserve? To be thrown into the fire? To be separated from God forever? But what did we actually get? Salvation. Restoration. God's love forever. Forever. Have you been amazed by that? Number two, do you understand that God desires, demands, and deserves much fruit from our lives? Because he created us and then he redeemed us at such a cost to himself, you could say that he twice owns us. He created us and he redeemed us by the blood of his son. Both our physical and spiritual life is a thanks to God's love. Is he deserving of fruit? Is our God deserving of this fruit of righteousness? I would hope you would confidently say yes. Yes, he is. Do you understand that today? Number three, do you grasp that you and I are incapable of bearing the fruit on our own that God demands? We need a vine. We need the true vine who loves us. Other vines in this world are not good enough. We need the true vine. If we are connected to the true vine, we will bear much fruit for God. We need to understand that. Number four, to go along with it, have we discovered the significance of us being and staying connected to the vine in order to bear much fruit for God? Learn from Jesus. Learn from him. Learn his life. Learn his commandments. Learn his teachings. And then do that as well. Do exactly as he taught you. Do exactly as he did. That is abiding in Jesus. And number five, are we ready and willing to get at loving the Lord through loving one another so that God would receive much fruit from his compassion towards us, from his stead love towards us? God wants fruit from that. God is worthy of us to bear that fruit today. I hope he would say that. I want to end today by stating two wonderful promises from this text. And these promises are helpful in us staying motivated in the Christian life. Look at these promises. They come from verse 9 and verse 11. The first one, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Do you see that? As the Father loved Jesus. With the same degree, Jesus loves us. And what follows that should be plainly obvious. Abide in my love. Why would we go anywhere else? Why? If Jesus loves us with the same strength, the same degree that God loves Jesus, why would we go anywhere else? Why would we ever leave? Why would I ever disconnect from the vine? if that kind of love is what I get from being connected to Jesus. And number two, he says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is about your joy. Love one another for the sake of God, but also love one another for the sake of your own joy. He says when you abide in Jesus, when you love one another, your joy is going to be full Sometimes I go to Sheets, and I get their like forty nine soda, you know, fountain soda. You get like 38 gallons or something like that yeah. for $1.49. And I end up standing there for 10 minutes trying to fill that thing up. And You know what I do when I'm filling up that drink? I fill it up and all the fizz, you know, gets there and there's like, you know, 20% of fizz. And I wait. I wait for that fizz to go down. <laughs> and then I fill it up again. And then I wait again. And then I fill it up a third time. You know what I'm doing? I'm filling it up to the brim. I'm getting my $1. forty-nine worth. Do you know what God is doing with this? He's making sure our joy is at the absolute pinnacle. The best it can be. By listening to this passage today, by obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, he's filling up our joy to the maximum limit with his version of joy. See, the commandment to love one another for Christ's sake is also an eternal present for us. It's a present for us. Because when we do so, we get the apex of Christ's love and we get the fullness of his joy forever. Let us make sure today that we are abiding in Jesus and let us get out there and practice loving one another because Jesus and our Father are worthy of it. When we love others, when we love God, and when we love Jesus, we also love ourselves. And we're blessed for all of eternity. Can anything be more worthwhile to live for than being a fruitful branch for God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this lesson today. I thank you for what you've taught us. Father, we wouldn't know these things without this. We would believe that we are capable of lots of things. We would believe, Father, that we can do our own fruit bearing. But, Father, we have learned today that we are in need of Jesus. Every single day, every single hour, Father, help us to stay connected to him and help us to listen to what you taught us, to obey him, to love one another, because loving one another is how we abide in Jesus. It is how we bear fruit. It is how we love you. Father, you have loved us with such a strength. You want our joy forever. Help us to love you in return because you're so worthy of it. We thank you and we give you all credit for this today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, wait. I told you. I don't want you rushing off, because I want that grape branch to mean something today. So that grape branch that we talked about, that was what we were before Christ came, I want you to take that grape branch today, and I do want you to throw it away. But on the way out, I want you to trade it in for an actual piece of fruit. We have a whole bunch of fruit that we brought in today. It's, what, apples, oranges, bananas. And as you toss your fruit branch into the fire, we'll say the garbage, I want you to grab a piece of fruit, and I want you to enjoy the fruit, and I want you to remember the illustration of how different things are when we're connected to Jesus, okay? Blessings to you as you leave.